Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. If you've been in San Francisco lately, you may have seen cars turning, stopping, merging without a driver inside. Those driverless taxis are now starting up in Los Angeles. Waymo, the self-driving car company by Google, got a permit to test its taxis there last month. And Cruise, a subsidiary of General Motors, has applied to test its cars in cities across California. So does this mean the autonomous vehicle revolution we've been told about has finally begun? Not quite. We'll tell you why after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Nina Kim. More Californians will get a sense of what San Franciscans have been seeing for months now, self-driving taxis tooling around city streets as companies like Waymo and Cruise expand testing their autonomous vehicles to L.A. and beyond. There is a certain magic to seeing a driverless car with a steering wheel turning on its own. But it turns out making cars that can offer truly driverless rides is hard. This hour, we take a closer look at what and where we are along the road toward an autonomous vehicle future as part of Forum's In Transit series. And back with us is series partner Ethan Elkine, director of the Climate Program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law. Hey, Ethan. Hi, Mina. Great to be back with you. Glad to have you back. So give our listeners a little more context behind what's been happening on San Francisco's city streets these past several months when it comes to self-driving cars. Sure. Well, I think for those who live in San Francisco, they're already probably quite accustomed to seeing these somewhat futuristic vehicles driving around with a lot of equipment on the outside. So that's uh, two different types of electric vehicles, the Chevy Bolt electric vehicle that uh, General Motors Cruise Division is operating. And then there's a Jaguar I-Pace electric vehicle that Google spinoff Waymo has been driving. And these are basically the two companies that are going to be, one is already offering uh, driverless taxi rides. So Cruise, you can right now download the app and actually ride in a driverless taxi if you've signed up for the waiting list and get the invite code. It's a little bit cheaper than driving in an Uber. And there have been some pretty well-reported adventures in those uh, cruises, uh, some that really made the news. And then Waymo is pending right now. So right now they can't charge drivers for rides. They're still testing in San Francisco, but that could change really at, at any moment. We're waiting on the regulatory process there to play out. 
And we know that there are different levels of autonomous technology, autonomous vehicle technology. This is truly the highest level, right? No driver at all. Well, it's actually not the highest level, although in a sense, yes. So there's actually five levels that the Society of Automotive Engineers have have determined to determine autonomous vehicle. And and actually, many drivers are already familiar and have at least uh, one, if not two of those levels. So at level one, you've got just basic driver assistance, like accelerating, braking and steering. And most vehicles on the road today fall into that category. Then there's level two, which is partial automation with two or more automated functions like combined and cruise control and automatic braking. And then you get into higher levels that really are more robotic. So level three, the driver, uh, the vehicle can actually drive itself in certain situations, usually on the highways. And then what Cruise and Waymo are at is actually level four of five. I know this gets kind of technical, but basically at level four, the vehicle can self-drive and doesn't require a human operator, but only in certain scenarios. So in the case of Cruise and Waymo, Uh, Sometimes they do have drivers behind the wheel. Sometimes drivers have to intervene. Sometimes there's remote intervention if something goes wrong with the vehicle. But actually, it's level five that is a true kind of futuristic scenario of full automation in all conditions, all scenarios. You essentially don't need a steering wheel or a driver's seat for that matter. I see. Uh, You were mentioning that uh, Waymo is still applying to charge for rides in San Francisco, but people in Phoenix, as I understand it, are able to download the Waymo app, call a car and kind of have it operate like a taxi for them or outside of Phoenix. That's correct. So in November of last year, the Arizona state regulators approved Waymo being able to offer rides. So they offer rides now from the Phoenix airport uh, to destinations uh, in town. They're also testing in some suburbs of Phoenix, like Chandler, Mesa, Tempe, uh, Gilbert. Uh, And the difference really is just that Arizona uh, was able to give them approval. I think they've been testing longer in Arizona. And I don't think actually it's going to be too far along now for San Francisco to to come along. And actually, LA is going to be their next city that they, they've announced that they want to introduce. But the thing about this technology is that they have to test it within the specific environment. It's very location specific. It's mm-hmm. not a transferable technology. If they're self-driving in one city, doesn't mean they can just pop into another. So it takes many months of testing for the companies to prove that they can do it and also to prove to the regulators that they can do it safely. Well, I want to bring into the conversation Christopher Beal, who's an audio engineer, producer, and reporter for KQED. Christopher, thanks for coming on. Sure. Glad to be here. I wanted to ask you on because I know you have ridden in a self-driving taxi before. Tell us a little bit about that experience for you and try to remember what it was like the very first time and how you felt. Oh, gosh. Uh, well, the first time I did it was um, late 2021, which was really, really early. A lot of folks haven't hadn't had a chance to even climb into a Waymo at this point. And I was working on a story for the KQED podcast, Bay Curious. Um, and I sort of just, you know, no one will ever give you anything you're afraid to ask for. So I just said, hey, can I get a ride? And they were like, no. <laughs> and a few weeks went by and I guess something changed and they were allowed to give select people rides in these vehicles as long as there was someone seated behind the wheel and a company rep with you. And it was all this these hoops you had to jump through. But I, I got invited to this secret office of theirs in the sunset and they hailed a vehicle. And though it had someone in the front, I can confirm she did not touch the wheel the whole time we were in the vehicle. Um, It was a super smooth experience. And at first, when we first pulled up to that first intersection, it was a little bit unsettling. But after that, like, honestly, 
um, it was smooth sailing that first time. And I've since um, had the opportunity to experience it uh, through some folks in my life who are trusted testers. Um, and so getting to experience it truly without a driver behind the wheel is uh, sort of exhilarating. And it feels honestly much safer than being in a, a car with a human driver. Why does it feel much safer? Well, I mean, computers don't get angry, right? Um, <laughs> you know, computers computers aren't trying to uh, break a speed record down a residential block, you know? And I mean, let's be honest, we all see a lot of drivers do that here in the city specifically. So um, I honestly, it, it I felt good knowing that this car could see everything going on around me and was sort of giving me the safest route to where I needed to go. And I didn't have to worry about uh, the emotions of a human driver. I kind of liked it. So then would you use them regularly when or if the app becomes available more widely? Here's the thing. Personally, um, I think they're really cool. But um, having lived in the city for a while, specifically being in the city, I, I'm still not, I'm not a big car guy. Like I really like um, you know public transit that's not on the roadways. But when uh, as a, as an alternative to other forms of car based transportation, absolutely. Like sometimes you need a car to get to other parts of the region. And I think that Waymo's got a really cool service. I haven't had a chance to experience any of the others, but. Um, the technology feels really safe, and I would I would try it again for sure. Huh. Well, Christopher, thanks so much for talking with us. Of course, thank you, Christopher Beale, audio engineer, producer, reporter for KQED. And if you want to check out his Bay Curious piece from last year, it's called "You're Not Imagining It." There are more driverless cars in San Francisco now. We're talking with Ethan Alkine, director of the climate program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law, about the latest when it comes to self-driving cars. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. Would you hail a driverless taxi? Why or why not? Have you seen one, driven, or been ridden in one, I guess, essentially, <laughs> since they're self-driving? What was your experience? You can email forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at post at kqedforum. And you can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. And there is a listener who tweets something kind of similar to Christopher's point about public transportation. This listener tweets, these cars are annoying and confusing to all other commuters' experiences. California should reinvest in public transportation instead. Ethan, so we've had these driverless cars being tested in San Francisco for months. What has the testing revealed about what driverless cars are actually doing well? Christopher seems kind of pumped on it. Yeah, well, we're getting some pretty interesting data back. So these companies have to report back to the DMV. Uh, certainly members of the public can actually report any collisions that happen. So there have been, as I last checked uh, this week, about 570 autonomous vehicle collision reports. Uh, it's not clear when those have happened. But what we've seen is that these vehicles are increasing their mileage pretty dramatically. But the the rates of having the human being having to intervene in the vehicles is actually going down. So that's a positive thing. Although some people are critical about the standards for how these companies have to report when there's a driver intervention. Um, mm. But that, uh, but so far it seems like they're they're based. They have no one's lost any any lives. There haven't been any uh, life threatening or, or human injuries that I've seen. Although there have been a number of collisions. I mean, you can go on the DMV websites and see read about some of these accidents. Some of them are just run of the mill. Somebody runs into the autonomous vehicle. It's not necessarily the autonomous vehicle's fault. Sometimes the drivers of the autonomous vehicles are causing accidents. I know that just happened uh, this month that had to be reported. So these interventions. 
collisions, and these collisions are not always necessarily the fault of the software. Uh, but generally speaking, the technology is improving, and we're we're seeing some pretty uh, pretty positive results from a safety standpoint. Yes, but the flip side, as you say, there have been incidents, no life-threatening or fatal ones as that I know of either. But things have happened like a self-driving car stopping in the middle of a very busy street during morning rush hour in San Francisco. I remember seeing some headlines about a traffic jam that was nearly two miles long as a result of it. Um, and then some other sort of odd things at night where crews uh, had some difficulty with its cars kind of all gathering as a fleet in one area and being totally stalled. And so there has been this push by San Francisco supervisors to kind of rein in self-driving cars, right? They're asking uh, the state regulator, the California Public Utilities Commission, to to take it slow, yeah, and you're absolutely right. There have been these high-profile incidents. The cars, they have all sorts of safety protocols, and sometimes the software kind of goes a little haywire. I mean, there was an incident where a photographer for the New York Times who was covering one of these first self-driving taxi trips just wanted to take a photo out the window, and by the act of putting their hands and camera out the window, the car came to a stop, and that backed up traffic. So you're absolutely right, and that can be a safety issue. There was a reported incident of a fire truck that couldn't get to a destination because there was a driverless car that was was in the way. So as you mentioned, the San Francisco uh, Board of Supervisors did uh, submit a letter, but they're, they're, the problem is that there's a limit to what the city of San Francisco can do. So when it comes to broader safety regulations, that's under the purview of the federal government. And then mm -hmm. otherwise, it's the state that is permitting these uh, these robot taxis, basically. So that means the DMV on testing and then the California Public Utilities Commission on whether or not they can offer rides uh, and charge rides. Uh, to passengers. And so the city is a bit limited, but, you know, by making their concerns known, I think regulators will likely respond uh, and and hopefully increase some of the standards. Otherwise, what San Francisco can really control on its own, potentially the street space, the curb space, what fees they charge, but the city is just limited in this case. Well, we got a comment from Cruz, which I should read. Cruz writes, safety is the top priority in everything we do. Our safety record is publicly reported and includes having driven over 1 million driverless miles without any major injuries or fatalities. Historically, in the vast majority of incidents, Cruz has reported to regulators the Cruz AV was either stopped, rear-ended, or had the right-of-way. We'll talk more about driverless cars and get your thoughts, listeners, right after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply, not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This hour, we're talking about the latest when it comes to autonomous vehicles. And 
What are some of the roadblocks to its future rollout? What are some of the things that people are realizing they are enjoying about driverless cars? How are you feeling? Are you worried about self-driving vehicles? Are you hopeful about it? How come? Email forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Give us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. I'll go to Bill in San Francisco. Hi, Bill. You're on. Hi, how are you? Well. Um, so I, I'm excited. I think it's great. Uh, I'm a bike rider primarily in San Francisco. And while I've seen the driverless cars around for ages, they usually had drivers and now when you turn and you, it, you, I still do a double take when you turn and you see mm-hmm. nobody see it. It's such a, you know, strange thing, but I'm excited because the, um, as a bike rider, even if you're in a bike lane, it is so dangerous and so crazy. And people are doing so many things. Last week I was going down Valencia and somebody pulled over to the right. And so I went around them and then they did a U-turn into me. They just decided to do a U-turn without any signaling or anything and just, you know, cut right into my bike. Um, so that's the kind of thing we have with real drivers and, um, and bicycles. And so having, you know, these cars that, don't, that actually are following the rules, I think it's really exciting. The downside is, is that, um, you know, I was going down Valencia just south of Cesar Chavez and a Waymo was next to me and it just stopped. It just stalled just right in the middle of the street, you know, in, the, in its lane, but, you know, just completely stuck. And, you know, traffic had to go around it, which is also a hazard. And then during last week's storm, there were um, a couple of cruise cars on Knob Hill that just drove right into crime scene tape and um, where there were down power wires. And thank God there was nobody in the car, but the, the cars just like drove two of them right into this terrible scenario and, and, and stayed. Yeah. Bill, thanks. Yeah, for giving us sort of a a good all around picture of what your experience has been with them, and especially also as a cyclist. For example, another listener writes, how do other street users signal their travel intentions to autonomous vehicles? With human drivers, there are hand signals, eye contact, and so forth. If a cyclist wants to make a turn or a pedestrian wants to cross, how does that work with autonomous vehicles? Um, Bill, I don't know if you're still there, but just really quick, have you had a moment where you had wanted to signal an intention to a driverless car? That's a great question. That's a great question. I have not interacted in that. I mean, I do signal, but often when it's behind me, so I don't know how it's registering. You know, but it, they haven't, you know, run into me yet. So I think that's that's a good sign. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I'm glad to uh, hear that, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and Ethan, another listener wants to know, uh, how well can autonomous vehicles be expected to operate in circumstances of extreme wind, rain, fires, and so forth, which are challenging for any driver? Is it reasonable to assume AVs or autonomous vehicles would do better than human-driven vehicles in more extreme or emergency circumstances. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it actually points to the nature of the technology, and there's a number of kind of fail-safes here for things like bad weather. Uh, so first of all, the technology works with three different components. Uh, first is radar, so that can work even, even in bad weather. And then there's LIDAR, which is like laser pulses that go out, you know, millions of these laser signals per second, and, th- and they reflect off almost like, like sonar off of surfaces that come back to a receiver to create a 3D model. So for someone like Bill biking along, the LIDAR is, is going to really detect and, and pretty good detail what that bicyclist is doing. But to the point about weather, LIDAR does not function as well in fog and dust. So you're going to be relying more on radar in that in that situation or the vehicle will be. And then there's also uh, cameras as well. And you know sometimes weather can impact cameras, of course, but you have these three different systems working together. And then you've got machine learning as part of this. Uh, you know, this is uh this is artificial intelligence, you know, really working in, in plain view of everyone who can who sees it. So you've got software it's building maps of of the environment around it it's learning from situations and uh, all these things you know combined uh, hopefully create a safe environment but i think bill makes a, a good point that right now these vehicles are programmed to be you know to err on the side of caution and that can sometimes create some hazards i mean there's even situations where they're programmed to obey the law and that can create hazards so for example they're programmed to come to a full stop you know, that's something most California drivers don't actually do. And it's going to be surprising if a vehicle is just waiting for no reason on a stop sign. So some of these vehicles have been getting rear-ended uh, because people aren't expecting that. So this is this is kind of the tricky thing about being in a, in, a, in a human environment and trying to make a robot act like a human, but not too much like a human. Yeah. Well, listener Alan writes, watching human drivers, I imagine that computer-driven cars are safer per mile. What does the record show? It's exactly what I was wondering are there enough data, Ethan, to determine whether driverless is truly safer because human error is often the reason for so many of the accidents um, that people get into? Well, that is really the promise of this technology. I think it's actually the best promise of this technology because right now, this is one of the top 10 causes of death globally is, is road traffic collisions. I mean, in the US, we have you know about 100 people, maybe over 100 people a day dying in, in traffic accidents. So uh, on our roadways, so it's 37,000 people. Uh, that's data I saw from 2016. That's been pretty consistent. Uh, so driving is incredibly dangerous. And I think people know that intuitively, but also kind of underestimate that uh, when they get behind a, a wheel. And the promise is, is that, you know, most of these accidents are uh, caused by human error. And so potentially, theoretically, you could see a 90% reduction in car crashes with uh, fully self-driving technology. I mean, this is all theoretical, but we don't really have enough actual real-world data to prove that out. So for example, yeah. right now, fatalities are about one fatality in 100 million miles of driving. That's kind of the average. And we only have, I say only, but still a lot, but we're not at 100 million. We have 5.7 million miles that have been uh, that were just driven in the last year. That was a big increase. Uh, so we're not yet at the 100 million mile mark to even find out if how these are performing. Then there are companies like Tesla, you hear Elon Musk kind of brag that his autonomous type software it's not fully autonomous has saved a lot of lives they think they've saved something like 90 percent of of accidents that would have happened uh, of course we just have to trust tesla's word on that i think though knowing how much human error is at, at, at fault here i think it's very likely that this technology the auto braking auto steering these different levels of autonomy have made a big difference and i do like i say think this is really the big upside of autonomous vehicle technology for society as a whole i mean i could imagine a day in the future maybe a century from now where you know the idea of dying in a car accident might seem as 
foreign to people in the future as you know it might be getting smallpox today or or polio uh you know things that science has sort of put behind us and i i hope that's the case but uh, the jury is still out well this is no right as someone who has ridden them frequently i feel so much more comfortable with a human driver at least if a human driver is angry i can understand and intervene when i'm in an autonomous vehicle and it can't take a right turn there's nothing i or tech support can really do These will entirely be a net negative, both in the replacement of already precarious jobs, as well as putting the responsibility on private companies to be honest about their safety. Let me go to caller Lauren in Los Gatos. Lauren, you're on. What would you like to say? Uh, Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, First of all, I want to say I'm really excited about the prospect of self-driving cars. Um, I hope that maybe someday in the, the future, my future grandchildren... My kids will be able to send them off to school um, without having to do, like, the daily drives, the after-school activities, um, you know, driving to work, all of that. It would just be fantastic, such a time saver. Hmm. But as someone who is genetically predisposed to motion sickness, I am terrified at the thought of sitting in a car and not being the one behind the wheel um, and just being sick, like, all the time, because I'm not the one driving. <laughs> wow. Well, Lauren, thanks for, for raising it. There's so many things to think about, I guess, and, and so many concerns on people's minds when you just think about how much of our lives are spent in vehicles. Well, no matter what, it sounds like, Ethan, where there is some real energy and progress around self-driving vehicles is in the taxi industry. The other, or in taxis generally, I guess, operating as taxis, but the other, as I understand it, is with trucks. Can you just talk a little bit about why trucks are also an area where the rollout seems to be a little faster? Yeah, I, I, trucks are basically a simpler problem to solve from an autonomous perspective. And it's, you know, I think people can kind of visualize this. Think about a crowded San Francisco urban streetscape versus a wide open highway. You know, a wide open highway is much easier for the software to operate, for the sensors to operate. And you've also got a strong business proposition because if you can platoon, which is when you have all, a whole bunch of trucks all driving communicating with each other wirelessly, driving almost like a giant train on the highway, you could potentially save a lot on labor costs and you've got uh, valuable goods movement potentially, which is less fraught than trying to bring a human passenger all around in a, in a robot taxi. So I think there's a strong economic case really right now for more autonomy in the in the trucking space. It may be that as a truck's exit highways, you need the human driver then to intervene when they're driving through the city streets. But just on the highways themselves, I think there's a that, it's a lot simpler environment. It's going to be a lot easier to scale that uh, software faster than the passenger model in crowded urban settings. Well, for some perspective on how truck drivers are feeling about it, Trish Blinstraub is with us, political director for Teamsters Joint Council 7. Trish, thanks so much for being with us. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So tell us what you have heard from the truck drivers you represent about self-driving trucks. What are their questions? What are their worries? Um, so we represent a lot of, of truck drivers throughout the nation. I mean, the Teamsters aren't new to technology, right? Because if we were, we'd still be driving horses, as our logo is. But they've adapted throughout the centuries uh, to to driving trucks. Um, one of their biggest concerns is, is truck driving is a huge um job market, right? There's hundreds of thousands of truck drivers throughout the nation. And they take their jobs very seriously. They go through extensive trainings on how to be 
safe um, and how to do things. And they've also adapted to new technology that goes in their truck that helps both them and the people and the public. Um, are they worried about losing their jobs? Of course, right? They're not just, it's not just a job. It's a person who loves driving trucks, but it's also their family, right? We have a lot of truck drivers who are able to support their whole family, their kids, their wives, um, or their husbands and send them to school. They're part of our community. And they don't just drive the truck they can see things, right? So if you're on the road, um, one of our truck drivers talked about how he knows he can predict an accident that's about to happen um, right in front of him because he can tell people's habits, right? Someone's eating a burrito or putting on makeup and they're they're swerving in the road. They're able to identify that. And if they do see a crash, they do what an autonomous vehicle, quite frankly, will never be able to do, which is they usually slow down traffic, pull uh, their rigs, so they can close some of the lanes so those people don't get hit, right? There's a whole human aspect that autonomous vehicles just aren't going to have that a human driver is going to have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they're very, very worried. There is a bill, California's AB 316, that is trying to do a couple of things. One is to try to keep that human element that you're describing as part of it, uh, but also trying to make it so that truck drivers don't lose their jobs. Do you want to talk about that bill a little bit? Yep. So um, the Teamsters are working with uh, two different authors, Cecilia Aguilar-Curry and uh, Assemblymember Lackey. Um, it's a bipartisan bill. And we're not saying like, don't go forward with this technology, but we're saying the te tech because the technology isn't there, there should be a human operator within the truck of any truck that's over 10,000 pounds or any vehicle that's actually over 10,000 pounds uh, for safety reasons. So if the truck stalls or something happens or they see an accident, there's a human there who's able to um, mitigate the damages that it could potentially cause. There has been a suggestion that autonomous vehicles will actually create new jobs. For example, it will require service technicians. Do you see that as an industry that truck drivers will be able to go into relatively easily, Trish? So honestly, we haven't seen those jobs. They keep saying that these jobs are going to be here, but we also need equitable jobs, right? If you're like, are you going to retool a 50-year-old truck driver who's been driving for 40 years to be a technician? Are they going to get the same benefits? Are they going to get the same wages, right? Um, I think we, we really have to think about more than just like great new technology, but also the human aspect of like, what's if we're going to eliminate a bunch of jobs, we can't just replace it with low wage jobs, wage jobs either. What about the fact that there does seem to be concerns about a truck driver shortage? Uh, that this could meet I that, I guess. I mean, I think the, the truck driver shortage is partially because there's been a lot of deregulation, right? It's been hard because DMV has made it very hard for us, for our truck drivers to get their license, their Class A license. Um, I think there's very few locations in California that actually have the ability to do it. I've heard some of our drivers say they go to a DMV, they take all these tests and they're like, oh, we actually aren't licensed to give that to you. You're going to have to go to this other location that's maybe like 50 or 60 miles away. Um, and also it takes months to be able to get there. So we've even had to negotiate with some of our employers um, the how it's re so restrictive on time, right? It's just taking too long. 
I see. So there is demand, you're saying, for them. It's just there are regulatory issues and other things that are stopping people from being able to get to these jobs easily. Yes. Well, Trish, any final thoughts before I let you go? Um, No, just that, you know, like technology is great, but we also have to be smart about technology and, and the human aspect of the technology. Like, we need to be able, like technology that helps create like safer, 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 um, help the public be safe is great. But also we need to take into consideration that we have to be able to replace these jobs. We have to be able to replace them with good jobs, right? We need to be able to have part of this community effort on this, on this topic. Trish Blinstraub. Political Director of Teamsters Joint Council 7, Trish Blinstrub, thank you so much. Let me go to caller Barry in San Francisco next. Hi, Barry, you're on. Hello, yes, um, I'm with the San Francisco Taxi Workers Alliance, Hmm. and I'd have to say that uh, calling them taxis really is a misnomer because uh, the, the role of a taxi in San Francisco is a highly regulated industry that is allowed to use special lanes, make special turns, and uh, and and also have special uh, uh, zones where we wait for passengers. And we also um, take cash as well as other forms of payment, credit cards, and some cases Venmo or Apple Pay. But uh, and uh, but the, also the, the the driver doesn't always just drive the vehicle. They also provide the recommendations, such as a good restaurant and in uh north beach or in or in fisherman's wharf or in the mission uh and and yeah, autonomous vehicle can't cannot actually provide that type of service at least immediately and also um uh, the, uh there are problems with these autonomous vehicles they they double park in the middle of the road that's making making it almost impossible to pass or or they will use uh they will park illegally because uh that's that's the m t a wrote in their paper to the CPUC, they are having difficulty uh, parallel parking or are parking at a, a, a at a curb safely. So there have been problems with the ability to, to to move over to drop off passengers. Also, taxi drivers help with with uh, groceries and, or with a walker or with a foldable wheelchair or with baggage. You, uh, you can't really always find that. With um, within a autonomous vehicle, because obviously there's nobody there to help them with those 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 particular types of services that taxi drivers do. Yeah, and we are, you know. Well, so, Barry, yeah. yeah, I just I really appreciate you reminding us of that, and uh, and appreciate the call and you laying all of those things out. Because Ethan, let's be real, the taxi industry has really been walloped by so many things. One of the things, of course, being Uber and Lyft, for example, but they're even looking at autonomous vehicles, so it just feels like it's it's going to be a tough road for them. Yeah, well, I think both Barry and Trish point to the the human costs of this transition, and it's something that we have to balance out, right? Like there's there's going to be a, a human dimension that we lose, and then there's a question of what benefits we get. Is this cheaper? Is this safer? So that's something that uh, that ultimately society has to make. We're talking autonomous vehicles as part of our In Transit series. More after the break. Stay with us. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. As part of our In Transit series, we're talking about autonomous vehicles, their implications for trucks, taxis, our roads, and what is driving their future, and when is that future that we've been told about where autonomous vehicles will be a norm that's was supposedly just around the corner 10 years ago, still hasn't arrived yet. We're also looking at some of the roadblocks to why that has not happened You, our listeners, are weighing in about whether or not you would hail a driverless taxi, whether you're worried about autonomous vehicles or whether you're hopeful about them. If you've you've had experiences riding in, seeing, um, interacting in one way or the other with a driverless car, what was that like? 866-733-6786. You can email forum at kqed.org or post on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Mishi in San Francisco, you're on the line. Join us. What What would you like to say? Hey, Nina. I'm excited to be here. Um, I just wanted to recount a story of when I was driving in, like, the left lane and we stopped at a light and I saw this, like, cruise car, like, lurch forward and stop and throw on its hazards and that car behind it like so angrily like honked their horn and swerved around and it was just like comical because it's like you really taught the car that has nobody in it like how to drive (laughs) and I was like man maybe I wonder if this is going to be a thing in the past but I hope so because like I just have to say that, like, I noticed that drivers today, there's, like, a couple out there that are just chronic harassers, and they honk their horn, and they, like, drive out of the lanes to, like, drive around people, and they're just so aggressive, and it's hard to keep your cool, you know, (sighs) just be like, this is just a terrible person. (laughs) I hope they they go away. I hope the self-driving cars do replaces people but i personally like driving but i am looking forward to taking self-driving cars when um when i need a taxi service hmm. well yeah, that's it thanks for sharing your thoughts again the the human element for better or for worse ethan alkine but also just this this aspect of being able to communicate with a driver seems to be something that worries listeners. For example, the Cisner writes, as a resident of San Francisco, I often look to the drivers or pedestrians if I'm driving to acknowledge who will proceed at our many four-way stops or turns. That cannot be done if there is no driver. Will there be more injuries as these vehicles increase? As it is now, most of us just give way to the many driverless cars because one does not know what those cars will do. 
There are some things that we have known for a while, questions that have been raised about driverless cars that I'm wondering if we have solved for at all, Ethan. For example, this person writes, how are companies producing self-driving cars ensuring that a third malicious party cannot hack the automobile? Mm -hmm. Is this something that can happen? Have we gotten any better with that, Ethan? Well, this is a huge issue. It's basically, it's a cybersecurity issue. And really, there's never been a new technology introduced that hasn't been weaponized in some fashion over the course of human history. And I and I think it would be foolish to assume that autonomous vehicles would be any different. I mean, you think about the ability potentially to assassinate a world leader if you can hack into their autonomous vehicle software or you know kill really anyone with, with that technology or potentially uh, deploy terrorism, you know, explosive load-in autonomous vehicles, similar to drones now in the sky, but on the ground, you think about the kind of damage that can be done, as well as just basic privacy concerns that people can track where drivers are going through their software, although that can happen already to some extent with uh, phones and, and other uh, GPS technologies. But you know, the hope is, is that the industry can stay ahead of this in terms of building in the proper security in the in the code and, and their defense systems. But we know that no system is 100% perfect. I mean, look at the hacks that we've seen on major companies all around the world. And you know, the stakes are a lot higher with these autonomous vehicles. So absolutely, this is something Something that I think should cause people concern. I don't know if it means that we're not going to want to introduce the technology. You know, we're comfortable with the amount of damage that happens from cars as it is because we enjoy the benefits of driving. Many people do. I mean, think of airplanes, for example. I mean, we're comfortable with a certain level of airplane crashes and incidents because by and large, they're mostly safe and the convenience outweighs the perceived risk. So uh, so I don't think autonomous vehicles will be any different, but absolutely the cybersecurity issue is a big one and something that you know we, we have to hope regulators and the companies themselves are, are always going to be one step ahead on. Yes, and as you also raised the privacy issue of being surveilled. Well, Le Levi writes, driverless cars need drivers. Computer eyes aren't the same as human eyes. Good drivers anticipate real-life situations. Besides, if you ever got into a real accident, who's going to help you? A driver, good Samaritan, or a computer? Have they even solved for some of what I guess I would call philosophical questions? I think you have raised like the trolley problem, for example, like ethical decisions that need to be made, that drivers have to make all the time. How is that being addressed? Yeah, I remember this as a sort of hypothetical in my intro to philosophy class and uh, never realized that it would actually become a real problem. You know, trolley's going down the track and you've got, you know, a baby on one side and a couple of adults on the other. Which way does a, does the trolley go? It's who, who does it take out? Uh, and these are, you know, utilitarian questions to some extent. You know, we, we, we want to program these vehicles to do the least amount of harm, but there are some cultural questions there. Like, for example, uh, I've seen some surveys that in countries like China, Japan, Japan, you know, they might actually value the life of an older person more than a younger person, whereas in the United States, we would want to preserve the life of a younger person. So there are some cultural questions here uh, that would inform this sort of utilitarian approach. But ultimately, what the companies are going to do is just respond to what society tells them. The regulators are going to tell them, here's the choice you have to make in these scenarios, and the, the car companies will just go ahead and, and do it. I think there may be some more interesting edge 
cases. Uh, like, for example, I, I mentioned earlier that these are machine learning uh, technologies. And at some point, the, the programmers may not really even understand why the vehicles are making the choices they're making, because they've kind of acquired their own information and through artificial intelligence are making their own decisions. So there could be some interesting questions around that. You also have some other uh, social racial issues that come up. So for example, uh, it, in the early days of programmers were using you know, mostly white and Asian people to help identify uh, potential human beings on the road. And it turned out that the software then was not as good at picking up uh, black people or, or, uh, or uh, people of, of uh, Latin descent. So you know, that wasn't intentionally meant to be racist, but because of the sort of bias within the, the programmers, their implicit bias, that you ended up with a, a racial disparity in terms of the outcome. So there's a lot of interesting ethical, moral issues that these technologies raise that uh, I think we're just going to be learning about as they're deployed in, in, in greater numbers. And again, we're talking with Ethan Alkine, Director of the Climate Program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law, host of the podcast Climate Break. And we're talking with you, our listeners. Let me go to Eli next. Hi, Eli, you are on. Hi, can you hear me? I can. Okay, I'm actually driving in a semi-autonomous car right now because <laughs> most of the newer cars have some sort of drive assist. And right. it's just, there's no question it's safer. Uh, you know, I, I kind of agree with having a driver behind the car, but, you know, these cars, whether they're the new Teslas or mine's a Volvo, you know, they keep the proper distance between the cars in front of you. You know, I, it saved me, I don't even know how many times, stopping when I didn't see something coming. Um, and, you know, the data shows people are terrible drivers. I think that like 99% or so of all auto accidents have to be human error. So, you know, I don't think there's a question there. Um, but I do have a question. I was on Steiner the other day, and I saw one of the Waymo cars come to a stop sign, and there was a cop car adjacent to it, and both the cops were staring at it with their mouths open. And I was wondering if they're thinking, like, how do I pull this thing over <laughs> if there's a problem? Because I don't know if I missed that or if that's been talked about. But then also to, to uh, go off of what the last girl was saying, also from a safety perspective, cars, I think, are the only thing threatening on a mass level that could be compared to something like guns. And we've had, you know, many incidents over the last recent years of people plowing into crowds, even one that was going around San Francisco, picking people off of corners. And, you know, something like that wouldn't be able to happen mm. if uh, the driver wasn't in control. So, I mean, I think there's, I think the benefits far outweigh the risk and the technology is just going to get better. So everybody's complaint right now about cars stalling and making the wrong moves, even my car, I don't do fully autonomous because I want to have a little control because there are glitches and things, yeah. but that will figure itself well, Eli, thanks for the comment. And and also the question, uh, Ethan, just in terms of, <laughs> I don't know what a what a cop would do if they wanted to pull one over. But I guess what it really gets to is the broader and maybe you can just say a little bit more about how these cars are controlled and who you can turn to if you need a human person who is interacting with this vehicle or the fleet of vehicles who you can turn to. Yeah, that's why the Waymo crews are not considered level five fully autonomous. So there, there is, there are people standing by to intervene. They'll actually drive out uh, if necessary to get to the car. It sort of defeats the purpose of driverless vehicles, but they have that backstop there if something happens, like a cop uh, pulling over an autonomous vehicle. And I think you know a lot of your listeners have raised this point about is it safer with a human? And I think you know we have a lot of examples of where it's much unsafer uh, to have a human being behind the wheel. And you think think about the access for people with. 
disabilities, you know, people who are visually impaired who might be able to have access to it. And then you think about the potential safety problems if somebody's drunk behind the wheel or on drugs in some capacity or has a seizure or falls asleep. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios where we see terrible accidents resulting because of impaired drivers. So I think some of this is going to be just ultimately socializing this technology. The technology has to improve, but society has to become more comfortable and get these basic questions addressed as they see this technology deployed at, at a greater scale. Well, this this listener writes, get them off the road, Waymo, Cruise, and the whole lot of them. Put all that money into making public transit better. The dangers these driverless vehicles pose is not worth any questionably positive contribution they may provide. Another listener writes, we shouldn't start doing anything new that adds carbon and pollution to the air. Will all driverless cars and trucks be electric or hydrogen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really important point. I mean, the environmental impacts are really kind of up for grabs right now. You could imagine a scenario where, environmentally speaking, this technology is an absolute win for carbon emissions. If autonomy is paired with carpooling, shared rides, and with zero emission, like electric type vehicles, if that happens, then you could imagine that these really could enhance existing public transit. They could decrease car ownership. They could even potentially decrease the amount of miles driven if they're shared rides. I mean, imagine if you didn't have to actually own your own car, but you had essentially an Uber or Lyft, but an autonomous vehicle on demand, all electric, taking you exactly where you need to go. You don't have to pay for fuel or for parking on the other end. And having fewer vehicles produced also means less energy inputs and and uh, and, and sort of overall mining to provide for those, for those vehicles. So that's the sort of best case, but it really depends on the policy choices that we make. Because if we don't put in policy choices that would encourage that kind of a zero emission shared type driving with autonomous vehicles, you can imagine driving miles just increasing dramatically. If everyone essentially had their own robot chauffeur, and there was a study uh, by my colleague, Joan Walker at UC Berkeley, who gave people access to a chauffeur. And that driving miles went way up if everyone had, they had to pay for the cost of operating the vehicle, but they had a driver. And so you could imagine the same thing with an autonomous vehicle. People are going to be happy to live an hour, two hours out of their job or wherever they need to go. The autonomous vehicle will just drive them. They could take a nap or work or do whatever. A lot of extra trips that might happen, which would really undermine the environment and undermine our sustainability goals. We are really looking at where things are with autonomous vehicles and where you are, listeners, when it comes to autonomous vehicles. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Well, Cliff writes, if the federal government won't take an active role here, we need the California DMV and Public Utilities Commission to step up and put in real safety standards, not just vague disengagement reports before unleashing these vehicles across the state. Rick writes, I hope to live long enough that I can't drive safely. Having had the fight with my elderly parents to take their keys away, I hope I recognize when I reach the point when I need to stop driving. Self-driving cars will increase the ability of the otherwise functional elderly to age at home, particularly in non-urban areas where there aren't convenience stores or alternative transportation services. Ethan, I do want to just take a moment to to think about what the promise of autonomous vehicles has been. Rick is kind of reminding me of that, that mm-hmm. there is this sort of dream vision that people have for how driverless cars will improve our lives. Just remind me a little bit of the outlines of that vision. <laughs> Yeah, and this was the big vision when Google first announced their kind of breakthrough 10 years ago. This is really what got people excited. This idea that we have greater access to places, easier mobility that's cheaper 
uh, that these cars basically can give you a sense of freedom. You don't have to be stuck behind the wheel, uh, you know, grimacing in traffic because you have your robot chauffeur taking you around. It could potentially free up more space for cars as well. I mean, imagine if all these vehicles could communicate with each other and essentially tailgate in a platooning way on the freeway. That could, it's almost like doubling our existing road capacity if you got rid of that tailgate space because the vehicles are are uh, are platooning together. Uh, and also definitely access for those who are impaired in some way and, and, and can't drive. So those are all the upsides as well as the safety benefits, you know, getting rid of all that driver error and, and death and destruction that happens. I think the analogy from the caller to guns is very apt. It's it's on par with gun deaths in this country, the amount of driving deaths. So that really is the the promise and potentially is environmental benefits as well, the reduced car ownership that I was talking about and reduced driving. But there is a dystopia as well. So, you know, it really matters what policy choices we make that will ultimately determine the future of how this technology is deployed. Yes. And I guess one of the things that it feels like in talking with you and in preparing for this show, that this idea of the driverless future, I think in 2015, 2016, they were saying it would just be a couple of years away, that we're really learning that it is a far more complicated uh, process than maybe we anticipated for this space, and that progress on it will actually be quite incremental. Yeah, absolutely. There, there were predictions that by 2020, you would see autonomous vehicles everywhere. That obviously has not borne out, although we're seeing this incremental, gradual progress. So I think we're probably a couple decades out. I mean, technology can always change. Some of this is going to depend on policy. You hear some people say the technology is already here now. It's just that the regulations haven't caught up. As I mentioned earlier, I think on the trucking side, we're going to see that much sooner, maybe in the next five or, or 10 years. Uh, so it does depend on policy. It does depend on technological innovation, but it is turning out to be much more complicated than expected. This is part of why some people are really doubtful about the business model of self-driving taxis, for example, that the software costs, the challenge of scaling up in each new environment is essentially going to negate any savings you might have made from not having a driver behind the wheel. I think ultimately, well, very wealthy people are going to be able to pay for fully self-driving vehicles in their cars. You, Tesla drivers have access to higher levels of automation now if they're willing to pay you know tw- i think it's twelve thousand dollars now so uh we're going to start seeing it more widely distributed but it's going to be much more incremental and i should also mention you know there are those uh package delivery robots that you see on the sidewalks too so autonomy is definitely coming it's just not happening quite as fast as people maybe originally predicted a decade or so ago Yes. And in the meantime, as we've been saying, LA will get to experience this or the LA area. And it sounds like Cruz is applying for this also to be in cities beyond San Francisco and Los Angeles as well. A couple of final thoughts. Catherine writes, I worked at an autonomous trucking company for years. The technologies we employed have incredible potential to make the road safer for all drivers. That said, I question why we as a society are throwing hundreds of millions of dollars at keeping cars on the road rather than investing in an effective and efficient public transportation system. And writes, why is the technology aimed at replacing humans rather than making humans better and less error prone? Technology can do things humans can't, but humans can do things technology can't and won't be able to reasonably do. Why isn't technology focused on making humans ever better rather than replacing us. Well, thank you listeners for sharing your thoughts and your experiences with autonomous vehicles. And Ethan Elkind, thank you so much as always for putting it in context and sharing your expertise. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Mina. Caroline Smith produced today's segment. You have been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.